classical stuff you should know. We are a podcast about classical education, the world of old stuff. We are three guys that like talking about this. We work at a classical school here in Austin, Texas called Veritas Academy. And um, classics, we love them. It's good stuff. Yep, nailed Rock it. Rock and roll. Yep, cool. Nailed it. Yep. My name is Graham Donaldson, and I am here with my associates, my colleagues, Mr. Arthur Jan Hannenberg. That's me. And Mr. Thomas Mangby. Hello. Associates, I feel like. Associates. Yeah, like we got promoted or something. That's good. Well, I feel like associates, it feels a little cold. Oh, sorry. What would you rather call us? My brothers. Oh, wow. What a guy. Like, uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to do what what I think we should probably be doing and then say, like, um, we've been only only talking about the Patreon at, like, the end of the episode and everyone stops listening. (laughs) Sure, yes. So, um, we have, just before we get into the podcast, we have set up a Patreon page where you, there's some little extra goodies uh, that you can, uh, if you are a, a member on our Patreon, you can get access to. And I forgot them. What are they? What are the benefits? The, the yeah. benefits? Five dollar level, you get all of our episodes, uh, which will be ad free, even as we add on ads to this regular podcast. Uh, we also offer some additional talks that we've given outside of the podcast. You can access those through the Patreon at the ten dollar month level. You get access. You can ask us questions for a monthly ask us anything. You also that's where they get the between banter, right? And the banter between the episodes. Well, that's right. We have very interesting and elucidating banter in between the episodes where we talk about such talk about such topics as the modern are, global order and bitcoin that's right we talked about bitcoin we've talked about um my theory about that we're living in the 19th century uh-huh. talked about rappers a little while ago we did <laughs> did you delete that one or is that actually going to go up no no like I thought, last week what did we talk about the week before week? a no. while ago anyway so we got some fun banter okay. where we're just like getting the episode set up yeah, you just get to hear what we talk about in between, yeah. which is some of my favorite stuff. It's kind of fun stuff. Yeah. And then what's the last level? At $20 a month, you get to propose topics for us to talk about, That's propose right. and then vote on topics for us to talk about. And you also eventually... We'll do them. Yeah, we'll do them. <laughs> Say we won't. We'll do it. And also get to help us decide on merchandise and other stuff that we would sell as a part of the podcast. And um, and also, yeah, giving uh, thoughts on, on other... It's like helping of- us like shape the direction of exactly. where the podcast will go. Um, that's why we call them Aristotelians. They are the best of us. So cool. And so maybe if I wanted to do that, where would I find that? You would find that at patreon.com slash classical stuff. Rock and roll. Okay. I'm feeling very salesy right now. That's very good. I mean, um, no, I like it. Okay. So we are now, if I looked at the the notes properly, we're talking about uh, my ability uh, that I lie to children. You are a liar. I'm a liar. Yeah. Your profession is lying. Uh, I like that you pretend that we have notes for these episodes. That's the real joke. That's the real punchline of yeah, your... They can see us on YouTube now. There's, I, yeah. Crap, there goes all the mystique. Nobody's fooled. Yeah. <laughs> no, you just like put the paper in front of the microphone and hope that it makes it sound like we're shuffling papers. All right. Yes. So today uh, is my episode. Usually, I don't know if Graham says this on air usually, but before most of his episodes, he'll say, I don't know if I'm actually going to fill an hour. I'm actually feeling that way right now. So we'll see how this goes. I don't think I'm going to fill an hour next yeah. week. Have you? Okay. But when has that ever happened? So if this is a short one, then rock and roll. I'm fine with that. Uh, are you saying I do not eschew surplusage? <laughs> Why? Is that the, what's the, what book is that from? The style guide? The, uh, the stone and bell? That's, I don't think that. That's Stone and Bell. That is Mark Twain's version oh, of is the it? Stone and Bell rule, which that is was my prefer wifi. the shorter to the longer. That's my Wi-Fi password for a while. Was it really? shoe supplesage? Hmm. I figured no one would get it. That's a good no one. one. Would, no one would randomly do Oh, crap. 
You have to change your password now. <laughs> yeah. You to, seriously, you have to change your password now. Do you have a Do you have a bank password? <laughs> yeah. Seriously. What's your social security number? Email. And uh, that's actually that's a really Bitcoin good episode. Bitcoin for life. <laughs> Why are you like? <laughs> I would actually believe that one hundred percent. Those are good episodes. Uh, AJ led those on how to write gooder. I think is the title is where those come from. So if you want to write gooder, you should listen to those. Okay. So the topic for today is vague and amorphous as most of mine are. So as a part of posting our videos to YouTube, by the way, all of our episodes are up on YouTube. If you want to go listen to them there, that gave me a chance to revisit a lot of our old topics to remind myself of what we talked about like years ago at this point. What episode number are we on roughly at this point? Do we, are we counting quarantine stuff? You should know. I don't think if so. We do, there I don't was think like we can. a good 15 or 20 in there. I don't think those count. So I think no, we're somewhere. I think we're up in the 120s. Is that it? Um, so, uh, what are we, this is 80 episodes ago. Then we had an episode called why English teachers aren't liars. It's a great episode. It's episode 45. Go listen to it. If you want to Graham led a discussion on a theme in Romeo and Juliet, and he, prov- he presented this evidence. Um, and, uh, it's super frustrating because AJ like agreed with it. There was like no conflict. It was just like way too happy, happy. So it's the way the world should work. Nope, it isn't. So today we're going to try again on a similar idea of what that episode was getting at and listener don't worry we'll get into what that idea is um so i don't actually have a title for this episode it's probably something more akin to why english teachers are liars or uh, potentially the limits of allegory because i like bombastic mm. titles like that um, but as an introduction to what we'll actually spend our time talking about um i don't know what um fear and dread you all bring in coming into your episodes but you know, I had my moment a few days ago of realizing I needed to come up with a topic and, you know, f- f- uh, rushing through my notes to find something and found a uh, quote from a book that I read years ago that I- I've always wanted to get your y'all's reaction to. So we're going to do that live on air. Ready to react. Yeah. So uh, if you could be just like filled with rage, that would really make my day. No, I'm, I'm just I'm getting into a place where maximum reaction. Will wow. Hit. Um, I do a lot of YouTube unboxings, so I'm already ready for this. <laughs> You're really used to this. I do a lot of reaction videos. But is, that's only like excitement, isn't it? Like, what about... Well, I also do reaction videos to like what, you know, like what PewDiePie said last week. <laughs> like I watch, hey, I watch me, his videos and then I do reaction videos. What, tell me anything PewDiePie said last week. Just anything. Go for it. He said like, well, I'm a... <laughs> I'm a Norwegian. I'm a yep. sweetie guy. Yeah. I love my wife. Oh, is, is he, he married? married? Yeah, he married Marzia. Who's Marzia? Don't know who Marzia is. Like his girlfriend. <laughs> okay. Well, now wife. Okay, cool, great. She's not nice. Homestar Runner's girlfriend. Marzia? That's Marzipan. Oh. That's different. Okay, this is, uh, we're off to a good start. Okay, so we will be. Oh, I'm Homestar Runner. What just happened? Oh, you, do, you want to do more Homestar Runner impersonations? Right, that would be sorry. a much better episode if we did that. Um, so I will be reading a uh, section from a book by David White. Do you all know David White? Nope. Um, nope. So I'll be talking about a book of his from the 90s, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. It's uh, not classical. It's not classical, but uh, we'll get into a classical idea. No, as like part of the nineties. Oh, yeah. Like zero, zero, nine, zero. Yeah. Like only a few years. Two thousand years ago is not enough for you. Emperor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the nineties boys. <laughs> I love the nineties. Party yeah, like it's 80, 90s. 99. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. Um, so uh, uh, David White uh, is author of a few books. He is a uh, poet first and foremost, but also has written, uh, I guess, other books as well. Let me, I'll just read his bio. This is from his website. I will uh, focus on 
I've, I've condensed it. So apologies in advance to David White, who I'm sure is avid listener, avid listener of the podcast. That would actually make my day if he was a uh, poet. David White grew up with a strong imaginative influence from his Irish mother among the hills and valleys of his father's Yorkshire. He now makes his home in the, in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Mm-hmm. The author. Oh yeah, there you go. But he lives on like an Island uh, off the off the coast of Washington. San Juan. Uh, is it the San Juan? I don't know. Uh, are those the only islands that They're are up there? Beautiful. Uh, he's somewhere up there. He's. Uh, I listened to an. Inter- Do y'all listen to On Being with Krista Tippett ever? Uh, I actually think I've listened to one yeah. or two on this. Anyway, nope. uh, he did an interview with her. He, uh, David White is still alive. Um, but uh, anyway, he talked about living is this on the island. Nineties. What old guy? <laughs> so, so stick with me. Yeah, he's two thousand years old. He's my yeah. He's great. He's the new Methuselah. Um, the author of nine books of poetry and four books of prose, David White holds a degree in marine zoology, honorary degrees from Newman College and Royal Roads University, and has traveled extensively, including living and working as a naturalist guide in the Galapagos Islands and leading anthropological and natural history expeditions in the Andes, Amazon, and Himalayas. Cool. Brings a wealth of experience to his poetry lectures and workshops. I feel like AJ, you and him would get along with that as his background. Turtle poet. Turtle poet and this whole like Washington connection. Anyway, sounds like a cool guy. Um, I think he would like his poetry too, which we won't actually be reading because mm. you know why? Why would we? This is sorry. The, just this final paragraph is which dovetails with the point of the book that we'll talk about. In organizational settings, using poetry and thoughtful commentary, he illustrates how we can foster qualities of courage and engagement, qualities needed if we are to respond to today's call for increased creativity and adaptability in the workplace. He brings a unique and important contribution to our understanding of the nature of individual and organizational change, particularly through his unique perspective on conversational leadership. So he does many things, poetry, writing books, all that stuff. He also works with companies to take um, classical stories and incorporate them into how they understand um, what they do and how they work together primarily. This feels like something that we should be doing. Doesn't that feel like we should talk about how... uh, can you imagine us standing in front of a, like a boardroom and being like, "What's up, guys? What classical stuff you should know? Here's how you can sell more stuff." In the uh, same way that Odin plucked his eye out, trumps. we should uh, <laughs> sacrifice for the shareholders. I don't know, like, yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess that would go really well, right? Ragnarok's coming. Balance sheet recession. <laughs> in the same way that bankruptcy is coming to this company, so prepare, run for the hills. Okay, so the your new cologne, Corpse Dragon. <laughs> I would like that. Oh, we're gonna be product consultants too. Um, uh, we'll be talking about, um, the heart aroused is the book from the 1990s. Um, he also has a wonderful book that's much more recent called consolations that I really, really like. It's, it's a collection of essays and he goes like word by word, uh, and just writes an essay on them. So, um, ambition, beauty, um, confession, courage, crisis, longing, maturity, just like, anyway, it's the series of essays just on single words and it's great. Does he teach at a place right now or is he just the consulting when he does? I don't, I don't know is what I should say. Mm, Oh, um, he is an associate fellow of the SAID, S-A-I-D, with an umlaut over the I, business school at the University of Oxford. Hmm. So, yes, also teaching as a part of that too. Travels and lectures throughout the world. So, there you go. He does a lot of stuff. Um, And he has a great voice, so you should listen to interviews of him also. Okay, let's, we'll get into the book itself, I guess, is where we should go. So the name of this book is The Heart Aroused, and the subtitle is Poetry and the Preservation of the Soul in Corporate America. How do you like that for a title? Dang. Isn't that a good title? He, um, he brings in a number of stories into this book to make his points about, again, how to preserve your soul in corporate America. Um, And this first came uh, i think i first came across this from a 2011 list from john acuff if you all follow him 
Um, this was one of his favorite books from 2011. So it's been on my radar for a while. Um, the first two chapters, his, his anchoring story is Beowulf. So this will be AJ asking you how you feel about um, this as we go. Um, there are, I guess, two stories that we'll center our discussion and then we'll just see where they go from there. The first one is shorter. So I'll just read from the book. The second one is longer. So as always, I mean, I don't need to give you permission. You all do this anyway, but feel free to interrupt me at any point if you have a comment to make. Um, so David White brings in the story of Beowulf to talk about, um, work to talk about. Um, yeah, I guess I should just leave it at that. Um, this is, I don't know if you all do this before your episodes, the most, uh, quoted quote from the book, the most quoted passage from the book, uh, according to Goodreads is this line, which ties in with our first reading. It is not the thing you fear that you must deal with. It is the mother of the thing you fear, the very thing that has given birth to the nightmare. Grendel's mom. So that's the, the this first connection. Um, I'll read this. this so week. he's using the story of Beowulf to... Get certain lessons cer- out of it. Get lessons sort of as launching off points yes. to talk about um, sort of how to apply wisdom. Or maybe yes. wisdom is, is applied wisdom. Um, to How to be wise in like a corporate setting or in a business yeah. setting. Or, yes. Okay. Let me um, just uh, by way of example. And there are a few quotes in here. I'll try and indicate where those are. So hopefully this... Uh, makes sense. Uh, Beginning his description of the lake and sensing the tension of the moment, the anonymous bard telling the story says that no one knows where Grindel or his mother comes from. Quote, they named the huge one Grindel. If he had a father, no one knew him or whether there'd been others before these two hidden evil before hidden evil. End quote. You can blame your mother. You can blame your father and his father for the problems with which you are destined to wrestle. But ultimately you are the one in whom they have made a home. You are the one who must say thus far and no farther and then go down and confront them yourself. Quote, they live in secret places, windy cliffs, wolf dens, where water pours from the rocks The then runs underground where mist steams like black clouds. And when the story tells us that they live in secret places, we are being told that Grindel's mother is the living incarnation of our disowned side, which has been forced to live in unfamiliar places, the fading moon portion of ourselves. That's kind of, this is a, a shortened version of what we'll get longer in the next section. And that's a big quote from Beowulf. Uh, those, there were two quotes in there. Sorry. Yeah. I, I should, I, I don't think I indicated where the second one ended. It ended with the steams like black clouds ah, gotcha. quote ended. And then, it, and then David White adds, when the story tells us that they live in secret places, we are being told that mm. Grindel's mother is the living incarnation of our disowned side. That's David White interjecting at that point. So he's doing, he's doing like a hero's journey, allegorical yes. reading of Beowulf kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he references the hero's journey. I don't think any of my quotes um, directly point to those parts, Mm -hmm. Um, but he is trying to like pull out pieces and say, this is so again, what does it mean that Grendel has no father? Uh, What does it mean that we don't know where these things come from? It means that we have our own problems that we must deal with. We can't blame people that come before us. I know I'm not trying to derail you on this, but someone else who does this kind of thing and has gotten popularity for doing this kind of thing is, um, uh, Jordan Peterson, oh, sure. right? Like he does that with the Bible mm-hmm. and, ha- and I think he's done it with Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Like this kind of psycholo- modern psychology using these sort of psychological readings, very Jungian yes. uh, uh, readings of these stories to talk about human personalities and, and that kind of stuff for the purpose of like something practical, like yes. practicality in the workplace or, or in I your own Peterson life. I heard Peterson do one with uh, The Lion King Yeah, yeah, episode. yeah. Yeah. Hope he's doing well. He had a rough, he had a, like a, a breakdown, I think. He did. I he think he's, sick. 
He was ill, or had a uh, who was. Um, well, he'd only been eating red meat for like four months. No, no, yeah, well, that too, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know the details of that. Neither do I. I, just, I don't really. It's not really a story I followed. No. Um, AJ, I mean, this is a book that you teach. Do you have any? Do you have any thoughts on <clears throat> White's approach so far? Again, I'll give you a longer example in a second if you want to think more about it. But does anything strike you as we dive into this? Um. So a couple things. We do know Feet where... the Grendel within, AJ. We do know yes. where they came from. They came from Cain's clan, sure. right? So that's one thing. And when he talks about our disowned side, that must be what he's referring to is Cain, uh-huh. right? Cain and their bunch. Because we know that that's where they descend from. That's interesting because uh, White doesn't explicitly bring that in, but you might agree with what he's saying, but actually have a deeper... Like, you know, there is a part of us that's the evil side, which would be the Cain side. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing Cain with Cain as him. in like Cain and Abel Cain? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Cain. Like yep. that's, that's supposedly where the demons come from. We also know where they live. Like she lives in a specific mirror that they go and find and Beowulf swims in. It's filled with lizards. A mirror? Mirror. Mirror. Oh, like, like a, the water? Like, the, yeah, okay. like an actual mirror. Okay. Um, where the cats come from. At, uh, you, you could find mirror it at cats. night. <laughs> um, so... It's I'm night. so mad at how good that joke is. Sorry. <laughs> well, the cat. Did you hear what he said? He said where cats? the cats come from. The meerkats. Sorry. Meerkats. It's really funny. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I I wonder at the compulsion to take these readings and make them allegorical when I'm not sure they were in the first place. Yeah, you tripped AJ's like AJ hates this stuff. The allegorical readings. Like uh, it seems it seems like a reduction, right? This was this story would have originally been told by a bard who was singing it to a group of people in like a castle, sure. like at a, at a feast, right? They sure. would have had big. It was entertainment, and entertainment supposed to be a fun story. I don't know that it was originally written with allegory in mind or with symbolism in mind. Like we can read all sorts of symbolism into it, but at some point, I wonder if it isn't just a a story of a Viking killing monsters, sure. right? This was my point in the, in the t- English Teachers Aren't Liars podcast, though. Kind of. We'll, make, that, we'll, okay. end up, we'll end with a different point, I think. Do you want to say what you... Well, it's just that if you're going to do that, the text needs to give you enough clues that it wants you to do that. So the example that I gave that we were doing well, in Romeo, Romeo and Juliet, Juliet yeah. is yeah. The, f- the fact that, that there are so many allusions to light and dark and so many allusions mm-hmm. to uh, religious conversion, you then are allowed or um, your, your case has a little more credence because all of this, these sort of motifs are sprinkled throughout act one. Sure. And if this is confusing, listen, go back and listen to, have to go back to listen to that 45. one. Yep. But um, so that leads you to say like, okay, it's probable because of this motif that we can make, we can sort of say this allegory that Romeo is like the dark and Juliet is like the light. Yes. Because the text has sort of given you enough breadcrumbs to do it. Sure. I will say the main reason I wanted to do another episode is, first off, the the next section is the one where I'll be curious how you two respond okay. and if it's different or not. Um, but your point in, the, in that last episode was primarily around a theme within the work itself mm-hmm. and whether Shakespeare is using this as a theme within the work. He wants to do like, a, like the universal well, human yes. experience. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. so he's doing something... Um, What's the right way to say it? It's like the application of this book to say that what Grendel is actually or uh, what Grendel's mother actually is, is the mother of your problems, which is the problem you must deal with. Does that make sense? Like it's not only within the book, it's then to say, how do we apply this book to our lives? That's the next step that White is attempting to do here. And I'm, I'm curious if we like what he does here. I don't, I don't mind application. I mind that 
if he says that is what this is about, it reduces the story to something lesser. Sure. Right. In, in my opinion, a lot of the allegor- allegorical readings, unless it really is allegory, do so. They say this is about that. Right. Instead of Grendel's mother being what she truly is, which is a, a, a horrible monster right. descendant of Cain that steals her son's arm from a group of people that took it as a trophy. Right. right. There's, there's a lot you can talk about there. But if I say what she is, is the mother of your problems yes. and Grendel is only representative of your problems. Yes. I miss out on maybe another a lot of other readings that could also yes. happen. I think that's fair. My my. Um, criticism of this kind of, not criticism, but my thought on this sort of thing is once you kind of, yeah, it's it's sort of piggybacking what AJ says. I hate that phrase, piggybacking. Anyway, whatever. Um, (laughs) Hop on here, bro. It's not going to be awkward at all. (laughs) Um, It's like once you say that you're doing that, like it's it's sort of the art of doing it. So if someone was saying like, oh man, I just can't, I just can't quit drinking. I'm just going to like throw away all my booze. And someone came to them and said, you don't kill Grendel. You kill Grendel's mom. Right. right? And that person knew the, the thing that you were talking about. Okay. That's sort of like an artfully applied lesson. lesson. Right. But then to sort of, um, to sort of uh, sit down and, and say like, here's how we can use literature to solve our problems. Like, um, I don't know. There's just something, yeah, reductionistic about doing it that way, even though I don't think maybe, I think maybe the practicality of what he's doing is correct, mm-hmm. but it's, it's it, basically what he's doing is he's, he's giving an analytical tool. Here's how you can read books to do X, Y, or Z, or to right. help to improve yourself. But if, um, but if that's the only tool that people bring to stories, right. then you're, then, um, at best, you're just going to reduce the story. At worst, you're going to be able to like say whatever you uh, any story can sort of justify or say whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah. That that was my what I was just going to mm-hmm. say was it leaves the door open for me to make really any plausible interpretation. Like my own my own motivations I can bring to the text. So there needs to be like a guiding ethos behind the story, right? And then like the story is a sort of a portal to that, to using that guiding ethos. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. We will get there. We'll get there. And I don't know. uh, Yeah. I don't know. Let me, let me keep on with um, the example he does and how he is applying this method to it. And then we'll try and kind of piece the stuff together at the end. That's good. Um, So this is a longer section at any point, please interrupt me. Otherwise I'll just ramble for three pages, which I guess is most of what I do on this podcast. But anyway, feel free to, if something especially makes you mad or you love it, just jump in and say so. Uh, this is if you're following along at home, which would be insane. We're on page 54 of The Heart Aroused. So whatever. Live your life. Uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> do whatever you want to. I'm not your dad. Whatever. Okay. Clad in his web of rings, Beowulf leaps into the water and sinks to the very bottom of the lake where Grendel's mother waits for him. These are... Uh, there are clear, marvelous details etched into the story at this point. Beowulf finds the great sword hunting, hunt, how do you say hunting, hunting, hunting given to him by the Danes to help him in his pitch black travail is useless against this she monster, as is another gift from above the Danish king's helmet. He is forced to throw them away and wrestle barehanded with Grindel's mother locked together in a deathlike embrace. They tumble into her den where Beowulf sees glowing on the wall, an unknown, but marvelous sword. He breaks the train, the chain on its hilt and with a sudden blow kills Grindel's mother with the glowing blade. So these are accurate descriptions of what happens in the story. Eh. 
roughly accurate descriptions of what happens in the story? Yeah. Okay. So then we move into interpretation. However well we arrange for our self-protection beforehand, our preparations are only muttered incantations to ward off the evil eye. The solution itself lies down in the water. The glamorous but useful sword given to Beowulf may also represent the attempt to rely inappropriately on technology at a crucial moment. Technology has marvelous benefits, as I can attest, sitting by my fireside, expanding this manuscript on my own personal talisman of the modern age, the laptop computer. We had those in 1994. I guess we did. But there are places where it's written. Crank. Yes. crank it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> that was the, the old Ford Model Q, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It only came in one color, it. though. Yeah. Keep running out of gas. Yeah, you had to put like a generator on. Um, but there are places where it's writ does not run. So he's talking about his laptop. For instance, and that, I think, for instance, in that split second of creative consciousness before the finger actually strikes the keyboard. He is talking about the keyboard still. In relationship to the fluid depths of the imagination, it can only be a servant and not a master. Physically and metaphorically, my computer cannot go underwater, the way Beowulf, right? It is not built to withstand the turbulent and fathomless atmospheres of the soul, like the pressure when you're underground or under the water. Uh, Beowulf's friends wait... Um, I think that's interpretation. I think this next one is story summary. Beowulf's friends wait all day at the very edge of the cold lake surface. The story says he is down there for a very long time to the point where he is given up for dead. The mythic code for a very long time is usually three days and three nights. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Gilgamesh was three days and three nights in the cave without food or water. Three days and three nights means an, an initiation. It means the process goes on longer than you would have it go on. Many scholars think it is connected to the moon's disappearance for three days each month, the darkest stretch of the heavenly cycle. In the no responses. In the uh, I, have, I have such huge beef already. Can, like, I, well, then let me, can I finish it? Let me let me just finish yeah, it. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. In the course of a human life, we get to know these dark phases of existence quite well: bereavement and rejection, loss of friends, family, and familiar way signs. Are familiar way signs. Sorry, uh, a person may go through the wrenching trauma of a divorce, which seems to stretch on forever. Finally, saying, "This is it, God. I've learned everything I need to know from this." But the trauma continues. An organization goes through radical restructuring, and those who work for it wonder when it will ever end. Three days and three nights. The temptation is not to follow through, to give up, and go back to the old ways. This is the last paragraph. Sorry. Whatever is needed for the moment of truth um, in those dire, deep places seems brought to view only in our arrival at the very bottom. So much of our experience is predicated on the consciousness uh, with which we enter it, our future possibilities already mortgaged to past limitations. And he goes on from there. So he's, he's, he is a Jungian kind of guy. Same one. He's doing well. When you say that, what, um, so, um, like what the is birth of philosophy of psychology? You had, uh, Freud and Jung and Jung, 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 Carl Jung. Jung, um, had this, uh, sort of view that, um, a lot of what made up, the human understanding of the world and themselves and families was sort of broken down into archetypes yes. and that we, these archetypes are present in all of the stories that human beings tell each other. Yes. And so like you get a story from a North American native tribe and you get a story from a, like a, a sub-Saharan African tribe and China and, and like Charlemagne and you're going to be able to find similar, if not almost identical archetypes. Right. And I think he, I don't know if he did it, but scholar, but Jungian scholars after him put together lists of these archetypes. That's what the I was underworld, trying to look The underworld, yeah. the underwater. Yeah. Um, and they all have to do with um, um, basically the, the Carl Jung, Carl Jung, that's it, uh, mm -hmm. believed that these were the things 
uh, these were the sort of the processes of, of that of human development. So yep. if you were going to go, if you were going to develop or mature as a person, there were sort of stages that you went through, and these stages then ended up being um, crystallized into these archetypes that get woven into the stories all over all over humanity. And then the process becomes okay. Let's find where these archetypes happen. We can yeah. understand the story um, in terms of those archetypes. How to how um, which ones? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't think Carl Jung's. I don't think he's wrong. It sounds um, like an over fancy way to say when we grow up, we meet hardship and hardship makes the best stories. Yes. It's is what David White is saying in this. No, no but, that's, but, that's what uh, I'm saying. I'm oh, saying oh, that Carl no, Young, but he's getting he's, more specific because he's actually putting, he's in, instead of just giving a, like that sort of platitude, he's actually giving like, um, examples of it from um, stories and acts. Like yes. he, he's putting it into like, you know, the, there's only three kinds of stories or whatever yes. the, the famous phrase is, or the is that five a young? stories, three stories or something like okay. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know he's wrong, but mm-hmm. like, yes, we go through hardship and what else can we write about beyond, beyond the common human experience? And yeah. could I put into the list the things that humans commonly deal with? Sure. I just, I don't think that it's, to me, it doesn't seem like that revolutionary of an understanding to think we go through things, those make good stories. They tend to be the same because we all kind of go through the same stuff. Sure. Yeah. I think you two are saying the same thing. Yeah. I, I, it seems like we're agreeing. Yeah. It's just the the um, the like murder to dissect kind of uh, thing, yeah. right? Like, um, what's if, the point of if you if you then sort of um, put this analytical lens on the story, you may be right in finding that the story has like, oh yes, in fact, it does mirror human psychology. Yep. Um, but then the now what step? I mean, it, yeah. Can it like sucks the magic out of it? My beef know. is that it's not an honest reading. Oh, say why? Uh, so first of all, he says like, ah, oh, the sword failed him. So technology failed him. Yeah. Well, what he found was also a sword. So that's it's true. like his laptop failing him and then finding a Another better laptop, laptop down. And right. like, that's what he found was a bigger, older sword. This is a better laptop. I mean, better graphics <laughs> he card. A better graphics card. Yeah, <laughs> it was, better, it was yeah. like the new 2070 saved. Max Q. That's right. that's what better, was, yeah. better technology. Saved. Better technology. And not only that. But Waterproof technology. <laughs> <laughs> not only yes. that, but like the, his, his one piece of his technology was actually integral in him surviving the fight. And that's his chainmail. Oh, his chainmail is a battle technology, sure. perhaps even more is recent that, than the sword to and, protect him from. And the, from his mom? Is the that? mother's claws would have killed him if it weren't for the chainmail. And so, not only that, it wasn't three days, three nights. I don't know where he's getting that. Every translation I've ever read indicates that it's more around like the better part of a day. Okay. He's probably down there for six or eight hours. Okay. And then when he comes up, not everyone has left. Sure. The Danes left. The Yayats, his picked men, were still around the ring cool. of the place. They yeah. stayed for him. Yeah. And so my huge problem with this is that he is abusing the story and ignoring pertinent details sure. to make it fit his tr- interpretation. Sure. And that drives me crazy. Yeah, so this is, this is the danger of, the, of that sort of view is the well actually guy. Uh, no, so I'm, not, the, I'm not saying that as a ouch, dude. Ouch. I'm not saying that as real. No, I'm saying that as like, like, that's the problem. It's like if you're going to, if you're going to draw. If These you're going to draw major significance yeah. from details, then you need to get then the details you need to, get need to be right. sure. got to get the details straight, and you can't yeah. ignore other pertinent details. Like, yes, his technology yeah. didn't work, but other technology, technology that he brought with him sure. did, yeah. and he found more technology. But AJ, do you think that if he incorporated all of those details and then brought in a reading, that you'd be cool with it? I would be more cool with it. Yeah. 
But wouldn't you still have a problem with the way that significance is attached to what seems like details in the story? I so I always am a little uncomfortable with with that when I don't think the original author intended it. Yeah. I don't. I think this story was written as a monster story. I don't think the author was but thinking but all like monster stories. This is the representation. And I get it. If you want to interpret something about your scary. psychology, sure. like we all go through things like this. And if sure. you want to talk about that, like look, man. Sometimes you got to deal with your problems. Grendel, he really was a problem. Yep. And then you got to deal with the thing that sired it sure. and, and really fared out all the last little bits. Right. I'm totally fine with that interpretation. It's true in the story as it is in human life because yep. the story somewhat mirrors human life. What I don't like is when he is, it seems like he's pushing the, the story like as a square peg mm-hmm. into the round hole of his interpretation, ignoring sure. pertinent details. And that drives me nuts. Sure. Is there anything, is Beowulf just like born super special or do they talk about that in the story? Uh, he, he's actually ignored largely in Aww. his, in his home, the Aetz. When they send him off to go help the Danes, uh-huh. they didn't, they didn't think he was this big, big, amazing thing. And then he proved his worth over in Daneland, right? Yeah. And then when he came back, everyone's like, dang, this guy's the real deal. And then he wasn't even immediately made king. Um, his his Lord had a son and that son eventually died and Beowulf was going to help usher him into kingship. Yeah. That son dies because he made a foolish decision and housed some guys he shouldn't have in his yeah. home. And then Beowulf takes over once the kid is gone. Okay. And so it's not like everyone ob- instantly renowned him as this great, wonderful thing. When he said he was going to do what he was going to do and fight Grendel, nobody knew if he could really do it. Okay. That's at this point it's like pulling out small details but there's some part of this where like he has trained and prepared in such mm-hmm. a way to be in combat like that's the thing that makes him ready to face um grindle's mom sure. uh, you know what i mean mm-hmm. the preparation is actually super useful it's why he survives any of it yep. all the points you've drawn out of the technology actually helps him right the, the and the, the chainmail help, helps him sink to the bottom of the no he swims to the bottom does he? and the chain in one point in the story he actually swims with chainmail and a sword on top of the water for a very long time cool. so they're they're not even like totally square on whether chainmail helps you sink or float sure. but he swims to the bottom and then he finds the mother he fights the mother for a little bit and then she drags him to the lair and yep. that's where he finds the sword kills her cuts off grendel's head and then brings grendel's head back and right. they all have to drag it back as far as i know that takes less than a day it's like an evening when they finally roll in and yeah his chainmail is integral because she's got these big claws that would kill him otherwise sure uh, Graham, am I, am I misunderstanding? Are you more sensitive to this, more okay with this reading, I guess? I am. I am. But then my stipulation is always you, um, the story. Then, like, you got the details need to be able to drive that interpretation. Sure. Um, Seems like we're agreeing. I'm yeah. okay with an interpretation mm-hmm. as it applies to life, but got to get the details right. The sure. reading has to be honest. And I think you have to acknowledge... But also, uh, at least I like to acknowledge when I don't think the author intended it, but it does mirror life. But that's what that's what I'm asking of. Does it matter what was intended in the first place it, to pull on details and say this one detail means technology is bad is probably not what the author would have thought. Right. Or we don't know, I guess, is more specific. Yeah. So, if I was the author, I'd be cranky about it. Sure. <laughs> that's fair. These are all fair points. OK, so that is what um, David White does in this section, uh, I guess, to just full disclosure for me, I, I could not finish this book. I love David White. I love Constellations. Um, he has another book called The Three Marriages, which is very good. It's about um, work and um, relationships and like hobbies and stuff. Like it's a, it's a very good book. Um, but this one I couldn't finish mostly because of, well, I guess because of these first two chapters, because I, th- I think these are bad readings of Beowulf. I don't know Beowulf as well as AJ does, but it's this pulling on details and putting too much weight on each one of them that bothered me in reading it. And so I just stopped reading it. So that for whatever that's worth for me. 
Um, well, bravo, Magby. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, but so welcome, 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 welcome. What do you mean? You're in the you're in the 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 club of the malcontents. We <laughs> <say>. <laughs> I feel like I've already talked trash about enough people on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, David White, I very much respect you. Please listen to our podcast. Um, <laughs> now, I think this matters less for beowulf but matters uh, the, the same thing that white is doing with beowulf i think is done all the time in um reading um scripture i won't go too much into this but mm. for patreon listeners i'll post a um talk i've given called reading scripture for interpretation about bad ways that um scripture can be used to apply to certain situations usually anyway i go listen to the talk i think it's kind of okay um the problem i think that's happening here and i want to see if you all agree with this or maybe not so i guess you're getting out of you know more of the details than I do to say he gets parts of it wrong. My problem is that he's this. Maybe AJ is exactly what you said. He's taking good practical advice and um, grafting it onto a story where it, it wasn't in the story before. So like if you took out the Beowulf part and you just kept the advice that was don't depend on your technology too much, that's good advice regardless. And deal with the thing that is causing you fear. Yes. Like those, like you don't need the story to make those points. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of no point to having the story. Does that make sense? He's using the story as a prop. Yes. Or trying to use it to give credibility to his argument when the, when the book doesn't actually do that. When otherwise it just seems like a platitude. Yes. Um, I don't know about, I guess it would be a platitude. To me it seems like one. If he just literally had a chapter that was like, you know, face your fears. You know what I mean? Um, so, it's, but it's more like a persuasion technique at that point to say like, this deep secret is actually in Beowulf. Um, but the the one, uh, I guess all things are like tensions and contradictions. Um, he's applying a method, um, one of you pointed and called it allegory earlier, and I think that's the right word for it. Um, and it's one, that's a method of reading I'm not generally comfortable with. Um, but I, th- what's the right way to say this? Have you all ever had students read a book and get some like huge impactful takeaway from it that you've never read into that book. Yes. And sure. Is it wrong that they did that? No. So, so help me. Those feel like disconnected. Well, well maybe, it, maybe grandpa, you it's connected. It's only interesting or if they're right. <laughs> well, um, if they get a right takeaway from the book in the no, first place, if the takeaway, like um, if the takeaway can fit with the rest of the book. So if, so, okay. Uh, I, I, Thinking about it this way, so there's like um, when you read a book or poem, um, uh, you can read. A, so there's poems that I will read or a book that I will read, and it will give me, it will remind me of something, mm-hmm. and I will get a great amount. Of, same with, with with songs, with music. Yep. So you now have like personal connotations with songs. Mm-hmm. So you listen to a song. I listen to the White Stripes Elephant, and I am back in first year university. Yeah. And I can feel it. And so then that gives, like, I associate that with, like, youth and freedom and this sort of, like, really fun, interesting time of life. And it's not necessarily in that album. Right. That's not what the album is about. It's your interpretation. But it's my interpretation. But my association with it has that. So there's personal associations that you can have with a book. Sure. Um, But if a student comes in and they've got some big brain idea about, like, oh, my goodness, isn't this isn't, uh, um, uh, oh shoot, I'm trying to think, um, isn't the care, like I'm trying to think of, uh, uh Grapes of Wrath, mm-hmm. isn't the, 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 pre- the preacher in Grapes of Wrath, I can't remember his name, but his initials are JC, mm-hmm. and so some soon be like, oh my goodness, isn't the preacher like Jesus Christ because yeah. his initials are JC, and it's like, okay, maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. 
let's take that idea and go with it. Does that fit with, and so, you know, okay, he's a religious man, he's a preacher, okay, maybe there's something there. Does his story fit with using that kind of interpretation? Does he do some sort of sacrifice? Can, does, 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 that, does reading him as a Messiah figure fit in with the rest of the story with all these other characters somewhere? Maybe not, because then there's like, anyway, so it, a student may have a big brain idea about something, but then you got, you've got to make sure that it fits with everything else in the story. You can't just sort of take this as a lesson in isolation. Sure. And if you say, like, the sword is like technology, except he finds another one that <laughs> saves him. Sure. So they, all of a sudden, your reading of technology as trash is no longer helpful. Sure. Because, yeah. And, like, it's not really new technology. It's not the like sword. the Vikings invented the sword, and yeah. he's like, try this one. <laughs> it's sure. great. Like it's Yeah, so it's just... Um, yes. So stu- every now and then students will do that and, um, and it sort of has to, it has to fit. So, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, someone, I can't remember the student. I don't remember what great, what year it was, but, um, a student made reference to the fact that Raskolnikov, so this is in Crime and Punishment, mm-hmm. Raskolnikov and Marmaladov, and we don't need to get into the details of it, are essentially doing the same thing, but from they're they're thinking about God in the same way, but from opposite sides of an argument. Mm-hmm. And the student sort of pointed that out, and I had never seen that before, and was like, "They are right. Yeah. Like they are. That is a, a correct reading. That sure. you now have these characters that have these parallel views from different from different sort of like attitudes. Yeah. So you know, there's stuff like that, but it has to fit with the rest of the story, and that's sort of I think. Yeah where, yeah, where you think White is getting off the track. Maybe, right? yeah, yeah, I don't know Beowulf, but it, from what AJ is saying, like, it sounds like. Yeah. And, but, but the thing is, is, like, if a student does that, if they say, hey, my life was changed by this book, right. and they're, they're saying, yeah, I changed in the Iliad because Patroclus was so giving, and, like, mm. that's what I took away. I'd be like, um, well, he wasn't really. And but, but then you, yeah. I, I don't want to argue and be like, your life lesson that you learned and it changed your life is wrong. But that's so what I'm asking, yeah. For me, it's it's like, you know that verse, it's in scripture, and it talks about how all these dudes were preaching the gospel from bad motivations, right? To get famous and to get all this money and to do all these things. And at some point, I think it was Paul. He's like, I don't have a rip why they're preaching it. They're preaching it. Like the gospel's going out. And for me, if a student's life is changed and they are bettered by a book, even if it's a completely inaccurate reading of the book, we might have a conversation about it, but I'm not going to, I'm going to try to pull down their progress just because I am cranky about the way they read an old book. I think their progress is probably more important. I think it's a fair point. I guess the, how would I say it? So, but what if David, so da- if David White is giving good advice of you can't over depend on technology in this case, or mm-hmm. you have to face not only the problem, but the mother of the problem, or um, you have to go to that dark place to overcome that dark place. Three true things. Yes. So if he says three, three, three helpful things. Yeah. And if those three helpful things are taught, even though it depends on a bad reading of Beowulf, is that still okay? No. Because? Uh, so if I would never take issue with someone reading David's book uh-huh. and growing from it. Yes. I will take issue with a teacher teaching improperly. This is like, helpful. If, it, if a kid came to me and they're like, wow, you changed my life because of the way you read this book, but I had been reading it incorrectly. Yeah. Like that's still great advice, but as soon as I realized that, I should stop using the book and maybe figure out some other way to do it or sure. a different book that actually says, says that. that there are books that say, don't depend on your technology. Yeah. Beowulf is not one of them. Sure, that's helpful. So the, it, it comes down, yeah, to 
but then you're it's, yeah, you're a you're a, a message in search of a source. Yes. You know yeah, 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 yeah. And in yeah. fact, that's the in, in the final fight in Beowulf, it's brand new technology, a steel shield oh, that helps him survive the dragon. <laughs> they usually use wood. Right. He didn't because he knew it would burn. So he had a brand new shield made, and that's that funny. helped him not die. Sure. So it, yeah, it's so um, cranky. So it's, <laughs> it's just, so good. That's awesome. Oh, what was I going to say? I'm in the same boat. I stopped reading the book. I'm in anyway, yeah. oh, that's why. Yeah. Wel- welcome. Thank you. Is that how that works? So. Yeah, an Im- so a reading like that that maybe doesn't hold up to scrutiny but is sort of helpful for the student at a time yes. is a good thing. It's helpful for the student at the time. But you haven't now taught the student how to go do that for himself from another book that he will find. Sure, yeah. Because you said, I've read Beowulf and here's the message. Here's yeah, the fair. takeaway message. It's like you shouldn't over-rely on technology. And the student be like, tell me how you got that message. And he's like, well – when he dove down and the sword was technology and soon be like, oh, and what about the, what other about sword? the shield? <laughs> right. And he'd be like, don't think about that. So then the student now, so now the student doesn't Pay no have, attention to the shield so behind the, student, the curtain. Now the student doesn't have the tool to go and read Dante or yep. something and be able to do the same thing. Yep. Or the student has now been taught, I can just ascribe symbolism to whatever I want in a, any way that I see fit as sure. long as it gives me some kind of like maxim sure. statement. Yeah. But, but it doesn't work. As you, it, it's not a method that it's you not can continue applying. So I, you, you're not, you, you, yeah, you can't. You've given him a fish. That's right. He can't fish he himself. He can't fish good. himself. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. So then um, let me. Good point, Donaldson. That was Thank actually, you. that was really good. Yeah. Better phrase than I could have. So there are good and bad ways to read books, I guess is the way to say this. But that's not to say you can't still get something helpful out of a bad reading. Correct. Which is like a an uncomfortable thing to like end with. But I think ought to be said again um if someone reads beowulf and their takeaway is that they need to reconcile with their parents because you know beowulf had to kill grendel's mom like you know like yeah eventually he like went back and helped a kid yeah and and that's the thing of like they can still have something good come from it even if it's not what the story is actually about and i don't think we can i don't know i don't think we should begrudge people that if it like is a life-changing thing i I don't want to go too into it but um i think there are two ways of bad reading that just, I'm a little more begrudging people of that, even if it's a life-changing you, thing. I thought you'd be more open to this. No. Change your life back. Exactly. change your life back, but it's like, awesome. That got you out of this one, but it's, is it going to get you like, but if you don't, if you, if you are, if you don't are, are using the skill improperly, it's going to bite you some point. True. Yeah. But let me try for what a few of these tools or methods or whatever might, might be called or named. We, uh, we already pointed to one, which is allegory. Um, I think the way to think of this is that you're taking only the story itself and immediately trying to apply it to your life situation. So um, this, this was AJ's critique earlier. It's both a critique and like literally the definition of allegory. Um, Beowulf is no longer Beowulf. He becomes a symbol for um, uh, the conquering of man over difficult situations or Grendel is no longer Grendel, but becomes a, an image for, um, you know, unknown evil from outside the the civilization or whatever. Um, the characters are no longer themselves. They become again, symbols for something else. Um, that's an allegorical reading. Um, uh, they are dangerous because you can very quickly lose the core of the book or the message of the book. Mm-hmm. If you're, if, if you're first time reading through Beowulf, you're like, what does Beowulf mean on page two? You don't know what the book is about. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. You are drawing messages from it that might have nothing to do with what the story is actually about. I think that's the danger of allegory. I, I think one of the great dangers of allegory and drawing my own conclusions from things like that is that it inoculates me against what C.S. Lewis says is the reason we read old books. 
to have the attitudes of the old world impress themselves upon us yep. and to inoculate us against the attitudes of our own world. If every book I read, I'm like, here is the lesson that fits right in with my life. I'm not actually learning from the book. I'm right. putting my current learning on the book. Yes. And I don't actually get their old attitudes, right? Yep. Beowulf is from a time that is totally alien to us. Yes. It's very different. And if my solution is don't trust technology, right. I don't think that ever would have crossed Beowulf's head Dude, at all. Swords are good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been like, we've That's had swords for forever. What yeah. technology are you talking about? And like, he, he brought his sword in the first place, right? He thought it was good. Anyway, yeah, and we've sure. had chainmail for 100 years. Yeah. Like, I, we, There is no such thing as new technology. Sure. I took the technology that we have, right? But let me let me take that point and still. So allegory would be I apply the book just directly to my life and you know all these details become symbols. Another method which I think is closer to what you're saying there, but it's still, I think an inferior reading is to read the book itself, have some understanding of what the book is about and then apply that lesson to my life. So said differently, I've read all of Beowulf and I know that um, there are parts of the story that are about growing old and passing on power to the next generation. um, Or there are lessons about bravery in the story that I can apply to my life right now. I think that's still a weaker reading because you're, I think it's because of what you just said though, AJ, that um, because the context is so different from where we are right now, I can't take a lesson from 3000, 2000. How old is this book? This one was probably nine to 1100, somewhere around there. But I can't take a really old book and immediately apply it to my situation right now because 2020 is different from when Beowulf was being written. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's true in some ways, but in some other ways, the human experience has never changed. Yes. Humans are the same. Yes. But this is, so I think this leads to a third. So again, bad form of reading first is allegory. The second form is sometimes called moralism. You read a book, you get the lesson of that book. You apply it to your life directly. Moralism. Mm -hmm. This third method would be, um, to read, um, within, I only ever have like four topics I talk about. So this is one of them, the great conversation. So you take Beowulf, but Beowulf is not the only comment on courage on Mm -hmm. growing old on um being an adult on um on facing evil on um combat on any of those things it's not the only word on those things so what do we do we read beowulf and we read other books that come later that develop a theme that has started in beowulf and then Mm -hmm. grown from there to then get to what is the conversation around any one of those topics and then at that point we can say something intelligent about our time today i think it's also beneficial to I mean, if we're going to read it, we can read the lessons that are actually there that we might miss because of our modern context. For example, when Beowulf goes to fight the dragon, all of his men abandon him, right? Every single one except Except for for one, Wilof. And Wilof stays. But first, he goes to the woods and he says, you dopes, like you big cowards. He gave you swords and he was throwing them away. And so the lesson here seems to be be faithful to your Lord, right? right? That is that is the mark of a courageous man is right. faithfulness to a Lord. If the Lord has given you your due and has helped you make it in life, then you owe him your fidelity in your life, yes. right? And we don't have that same, like, I owe my senator so much because sure. he's given so much for me. We right. don't have that same thing. But we do have an attitude towards authority that is often skeptical and negative when the question should be, okay, what what has the authority really given up for me and what do I actually owe them? Yeah. Right. I, I I mean, I try to apply that here at school and that means that sometimes I have to trust the administration, even if I think they're making a bad decision True. because, but I think that, that's their, that's their place that they deserve it. And, and, um, I'm, uh, the argument I'm making is that it is better to read in that last way of across many 
um, thinkers across many books across time to, to read historically, mm-hmm. but you can't do that for everything. Like we have lives and we have stuff to do. And so I think there are good things to get from each level of reading to which I'm agreeing with you of like, you should take away those, those moral lessons from Beowulf. But I think those moral lessons can be deepened by reading it in context of a conversation that intersects with Beowulf at some point. Does that? Yeah, sure. There there are a lot of old books that have to do with fidelity to your Lord and which would then to to your Lewis quote would show um, fidelity is maybe a value we've lost in 2020, but has actually been really important for all of written history we should therefore value fidelity more. Yeah. What, version of in that. what way can we sort seek to rescue yes. it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so, but I guess this works both ways to say that that level of um, taking a moral from a book and applying it to my life is a good reading. It can be improved by reading more. Of course. I mean, this maybe ties in with your topic for next week, Graham, but you know, a bunch of people who read books are going to tell you to read more books. Um, <laughs> but I would, I would flip it to say, I do think there's still value in that allegorical reading that there are true moral lessons we can take away from a book, even if it's a bad reading of the book. Is that, and this is not like a satisfying play. Anyway, th- I just want to throw that out there. I uh, don't like that. I mean, that, I, that which I, is fine. I, I, that one gives me, it makes me a little nervous. It's kind of like you really need to use the bathroom. So you poop in your sink. Like, <laughs> Te- that's, technically does the job. <laughs> it technically does a job, but you, that's not a habit you want to develop. Yeah, uh, that is fair. Right. That's kind of how I think about it. Sorry. <laughs> that was a little, um, you're thinking about I'm that? I'm laughing oh. because my grandpa had to do that. Yeah, oh, right. Really? Like you were, oh. you were in such a such a a place of toilet didn't work. Every yeah, yeah. nothing was installed. Any there harbor a in sink. a storm, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. But <laughs> as like any harbor know, in a storm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, any, yeah. but you don't want to use that as like your uh, as your, your method your, of, your method moving sure. forward. Um, I, I guess I, I'm trying to leave space because it's gonna have it's gonna there's, it's gonna crop up more problems in the future. Like yes. I guess I'm just trying to leave space for that category we said earlier of your student reads something, gets a lesson that like you don't think is in there, but mm-hmm. still like radically transforms their life or is helpful for them. I don't think depending on that is helpful. I'm just trying to say, I don't know. I just so uh, maybe I'm more cynical. I was in my mind think like, he doesn't actually oh, say man, that. as soon as you read that book again, in five years, you're going to realize that you're wrong or yeah. you're going to, it's your, or not realize that you're wrong. You're going to be like, Oh, I can't believe I thought that when I was 15. And, uh, but I think that's more the work of the person introspecting. Like mm-hmm. they are realizing something in their life needs fixing mm-hmm. much more so than the book says X. Yeah. That, that's, Maybe that's, that's what that's I'm trying fair. to say. Yeah. Yeah. So then the, so it's not a good way to read a book, but so the book's then a mirror. Yes, exactly. Even, um, even though it's, yeah, the book is not someone. Yeah. The book isn't intending to be one. Yes. Or it just ends up being not. one because of the, 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 the person reading it and you're forced to read it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. so, um, th- again, th- these are, um, I, I, I have wanted to say in writing my notes, there are actual notes on this one. Thank you. I've, I've wanted to say allegorical readings are bad, but like for, again, I'll post the Patreon talk on like reading the Bible. I would like to say allegorical readings of the Bible are bad, but when you read the first thousand years of church history, they're all doing it. They're all allegorical. In fact, Paul readings. even does it. Yes. Which, which is our a whole other fun topic. So like, you know, when St. Augustine looks at Proverbs 31, which is about like a righteous woman and he sees like, this is about the persecuted church. And like, <laughs> it's like I don't think it is, but he's closer to, he's earlier in the church than I am. Yeah. Um, he's closer to something than I am. And so it, what am I trying to say? Yeah. Al- he's flipping St. Augustine. Yeah. That, that, that's my point. <laughs> Who are like, you, Thomas? <laughs> in, exactly. In, in, in the same way of like, I just want to leave space for allegorical readings. Yeah. don't have to be all bad. 
Um, so that's my, that's my first one of like, at least have some level of comfort with an allegorical reading to at least engage it on the level of this is a mirror. I think that's the right way to put it, Graham, of the student or whoever's reading. I don't just mean high schoolers. I mean, whoever's reading it as a student of the work, um, let them do that work for themselves of reading into it, having processing their life through that story. Okay, I will. When you all talk about great expectations being a bad book, I love that book because I went through something similar to Pip. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so that's not the book being good or bad. That's I see my story in the book and it's helpful for me processing some part of my life. You saved a convict and he made, yeah, you did you, that's exactly right. And then, uh, my blacksmith dad paid off my debt. It was a really like, crazy time. I think, yeah. I think it might not be that the book is bad. It's just that I've never been a wealthy man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or, what, what is my experience? How does it connect with Pip at all? Sure. It doesn't. Yeah. That's actually, that might be another topic for another time of, cause you need some level of connection. I don't, anyway. Um, Mm-hmm. So then, so that's the first one, but which would then lead to being comfortable with people having different takeaways from a book. But I think that's not to say the book says different things to different people. It's that different people are going through different things mm-hmm. while reading the same book. Yeah. yeah. Um, so which, ha- which at some level has nothing to do with the book, but it's still, um, it just happened to be the time when they discovered something. Yeah. We sort of have this conversation in, when we'd read Hamlet, yep. because Hamlet tries to use a text, a book, but it's a play. He tries to use a play to figure out the, the soul of somebody else. So he's trying to figure out if the king is guilty or not, and he uses a text. And uh, the question is like, wait, do you actually think books can do that? Like, can books reveal your soul to people who observe your relationship with those books? Yes. Um, right. Yeah. And so that, that that's sort of an interesting, mm. an interesting question, because what we're talking about is, okay, um, you know, if I watch The Murder of Gonzago, which is the play that Hamlet watches, or that, that that Claudius watches, like, and I myself was a murderer who got away with it, right. and it really gnawed at my soul, that's not what The Murder of Gonzago is about. It's supposed to be, it's like a fun little murder mystery. Right. But if I read and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm a terrible person, um, Hamlet assumes that plays, Hamlet assumes that literature has that power to do that. Sure. And so, um, yeah, that the, the subjective personal reading of a book or the listening of a song um, is like an interesting portion of, it. I guess that's how I always re- regulate. I always regulated allegorical readings as like, all right, man, like origin, you do you buddy. Sure. Or like Augustine, no. like go, crazy. go for yeah, it. Persecuted sure. church, like <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Write it up. Sure. But like, we're not going to like build a corporation around this. That's you know, like yeah, we're not sure. going to like te- have this be canon yes. or something. But that's fair. And the question is, you know, but why not? When right. are allegorical yeah. readings, readings canon yep. or canonical readings? But I, I think those are different. Again, I'm almost trying to separate of like your, what the, 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 the change in your life that you need to make based on reading a book is different from what the book actually says yeah. in it. And maybe, maybe listeners will hate this idea, but write in and tell me. Um, so just to say, that's that first part of like, people will have radically different readings, not because of the book itself, but because of the person reading the book. Mm-hmm. But I think the truer, like the actual correct readings of books come from reading the whole book um, and, and looking for a theme across an entire book, but then also looking at how that book has been interpreted over time. We're not the first ones to read Beowulf. I'm sure every translator of it has commented on like what this book is about. We can connect those and see how has this been read, you know, over the past thousand years or whatever. And then in the same vein of what we, what I just said before, um, yes, it's good to get a lesson from a book. The deeper lesson is to read many books on a topic um, mm-hmm. to see how that thought has developed over time. Um, and then what, what to do with that in 2020. Um, so I think those are main takeaways there. Uh, there, 
I think there are many examples of books that do this well and maybe better than Heart Aroused. Sorry. It was like a New York Times bestseller in 94. So for whatever that's worth, probably nothing. Um, Josh Gibbs's How to Be Unlucky, which we've done on another episode, is him reading his story through the lens of um, yeah. Boethius. I think that's a good example of yep. of doing that. And then also, although I've never read it, but I've heard it's really good, Rod Dreher's reading of Dante. Uh, how, how Dante, how Dante, Dante can, can Save Your Life. Save your life. Yeah, it's, um, I can't, have you read it? I have, and I can't comment. Um, it's part of why I'm reading Purgatory right now. Yeah. But AJ would know more. I can't speak to whether it's a good reading of Dante. I'm putting that in air quotes. Yeah. But like his life was changed by his time through all three of those books. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to begrudge him that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I wouldn't say he didn't read it very well because it did what it was intended to do. But there are books that are more, cl- that seem to more closely nudge or, um, expect maybe that's that's it that expect the reader is going to be doing that and yes. i think dante's the mm. guy in comedy right is a lot more is and and and, and consolation of philosophy yep. those are books that i think have a expectation that their reader is going to superimpose themselves on it yes and beowulf is not that's actually that's an interesting thought because um boethius literally puts himself in the story dante literally puts himself in the story that's almost the tip-off that, yeah that's the method um, just one other um, a story I like that does this is uh, Eugene Peterson's Under the Unpredictable Plant. Mm. It's the telling of the, or it's him interpreting his Jonah. Yeah, um, his his ministry life through the story of Jonah. Um, I think it's a really really good book. Um, and a story to pick for talking about your ministry. Yeah, life. exactly. But that's what makes it great. Is like he, he's, I originally said no. Exactly. Yeah. Where he has this part where he's like, I've tried I ran to away. Then I yeah. fell out of yeah. a boat. Yeah, yeah, which is literally his story of like, he, he tried to leave three or four times and every time God brought him back. And anyway, it's a really good book under the unpredictable plant, especially if you work in um, a ministry setting. Cool. Do you want to read something? Where I was looking for some... was just getting a little restless. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, there's a, so J.R.R. Tolkien actually has one of the seminal criticisms yep. of Beowulf right. itself. And one of the things he talks about is how everyone seems to want to plummet for historicity and yep. all this other things. He's like, it's a work of art, right? And cool. it's a story not even made up by the poet himself. Right. He's clearly saying somebody else's story. I was trying to look for something pertinent to what you were talking about, where we look for one thing and Beowulf would be another. Sure. Uh, I didn't find anything. It's it's too long a criticism to find what I want to find. But even like that point would fit into the conversation about Beowulf. Maybe we should come to the conclusion of we shouldn't look for the deeper meanings. It's It's just a really good story. Um, and that's a fine, anyway, I, you all, you all will still have some like minor disagreements there, but I find that it's helpful to envision, especially these stories. So Beowulf, the Iliad, the Odyssey, these are, these are primary and secondary epic Yes, where the, the place in which they would have been delivered is the setting in which you will, you should imagine yourself reading them. So yeah. if you are going to read Beowulf, you should imagine yourself sitting in your very best clothes, clothes that cost you months of worth of salary, right? right? The, the very best of the very best. You're eating the best food you've ever had. You are around the most wealthy and important people in the realm. And in front of you is someone who has been brought to entertain you with a story of bravery. Sure. And so you sit with your ale, with your friends, with the senators and the most important people, with a king who is your benefactor and who's been doing good things for you, whom you support. Mm-hmm. And then he has provided you with this entertainment. It will change your experience entirely of reading the book. You don't, like very few people were probably sitting there thinking, <laughs> what is this about? <laughs> this is clearly that I have to tackle my problems by approaching sure. the mother of my problems. Sure. Like th- th- that's not what they were thinking, sure. right? It's a, it's a different experience. I find that that's helpful for my students as well as me when I read these old epics. Yeah. I mean, it's also telling that like all of our um, descriptive models for um, what these stories mean come from the early 20th century. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's not uh, uh, whoever wrote Beowulf didn't say, I, you know, I'm basing this off of the hero myth, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. yeah for sure. Cool. Well, that, that, oh man, 
Uh, I feel like this is going to spawn lots of other future podcasts. Good. Uh, I hope thoughts. so. Yeah. You'll probably have more refined thoughts. I just, I ramble for oh, as long good. as I can. I'm glad that you did me the solid of preventing me from reading that book. Now I never have to read <laughs> I, it. I didn't think he would it's want to, nice. but I think he, I think he, I, I didn't get, again, I only made it to the first two chapters. I think he does Dante for two of the chapters too. Like, um, the Inferno is one of his same kind of stuff. I, I would assume so. I, I never read it. That's yeah. the thing. I, I quit after the Beowulf chapters. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I think you can do it. I just think it's harder than people think it is. Yes. Um, yeah. and, or, or I think actually you should, you should feel free to give up when you're not, when you're not getting any blood from that stone. Like there are just some books that maybe just don't have enough breadcrumbs to sure. lead you to that kind yeah. of thing. Or, you know, don't, don't bring your own notions to the book, draw the, the book's notions out. Oh, but that's again, Constellations is great. His book of essays is great. Cause he doesn't do that part. He just says his ideas and like, they're really interesting ideas. I just don't, you don't have to pretend that, you know, they're in Beowulf cause they're not, yeah, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. Just tell me the idea. Cool. Well, <laughs> this has been classical stuff. You should know with Thomas, AJ and Graham. Uh, we thank you for listening. You can email us at the guys at classical stuff.net. You can find us on Twitter at classical stuff, C L S S C A L stuff. You can um, patronize us at patreon.com backslash classical stuff. Is uh-huh. that it? Yeah. And um, you can find all of our episodes on classicalstuff.net. Uh, we think thanks for listening and we appreciate you guys emailing us funny things. And yeah. Yeah. Cool. We love interacting with you guys. Yeah. It's really it's nice. Great. It really is. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.